This is a level of production that I don't think I've ever come across in a Bugle Open. <laughs> <laughs> The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue minus 293 of The Bugle, audio newspaper for for a visual world. It is the 1st of January of the year 2000. I am 25-year-old Andy Zaltzman, and what an exciting time it is to be a human being, Buglers, at the dawn of a whole new millennium, the first one for a thousand years, would you believe? I've lived 25 years of my life in years beginning with one, and frankly, the novelty has worn off, but now, well, it feels like a psychological clean slate for humanity as we leave behind the conflicts and failures of the past and march towards a space-age, high-tech future of global unity, optimism and progress as we're all brought together and improved by the wondrous power of, uh, of technology. I mean, yes, it might be quite hard to find comedy in such a massive utopia, but here on The Bugle, we're going to give it a go, and to join me in trying to give it a go, it's a uh, very amusing up-and-coming open-mic comedian and actor, John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Oh, 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 oh. What, what year is it, and what month as well, please? It's uh, March 2022, Andy. Oh, no. I was, I was hoping you wouldn't say that, Chris. Oh, does. Oh. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I've overslept. Let me just quickly catch up on the newspapers. Oh. Oh. Uh. Oh. Um. Shit. Uh. Uh. uh Tom. So, sorry, Chris. Uh. Do 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 you mind if I take some some time off? How long? Forty years. Uh. Yes, I do mind. You can have five seconds off. All right, that'll do. Start the clock. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4,223 of the Bugle, audio newspaper for a visceral world. I'm Andy Zaltzman, looking out of the window in my shed here in London. The sun is shining and the sky is blue, and both of those seem totally inappropriate in the current circumstances. <laughs> and that makes me think that maybe using weather as a metaphor in any art form should be instantly banned. It has, another bit, it has been another, I think we can fairly say of a week and joining me to try to whiz up the twitching entrails of this roadkill badger over seven days into a vaguely swallowable audio milkshake i'm joined uh, from london by nish kumar and from new york by josh gondelman uh, hello uh, both of you have you enjoyed uh, the well the latest installment of, uh, of world war three so far yeah that about sums it up <laughs> <laughs> just just josh slowly exhaling <laughs> that you could just pl- play that sound on a loop for 35 <laughs> minutes and put that out as this week's bugle. That is why I couldn't be a newscaster. It would start every every episode of the news is just like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Every I feel like they should be allowed to do that. They should. Well, well here here on on the radio on on, on Radio Four, there was do the, the bleeps. On, on the hour, people think that's to show the time, but actually they're just bleeping out the first six words of the, every news. <laughs> it would be great if the the news at ten tonight just opened with wh- whoever's presenting it just going, "Okay, first things first, fucking hell." Okay, all right, let's get back to it. Let's get back to it. Okay, let's get back. It's all right. I just need I just needed a second to compose myself. Just but let's get back. Now we're into it <laughs> in Brooklyn. 
uh, New York City is trying to prove that we're not full of coastal elites who care less about American values and more about keeping people alive. So today we've eliminated almost all of our vaccine and mask mandates in indoor spaces. So that's an additional exhale. Uh, I'm just trying to stop the coronavirus from entering. So it's just a constant stream of... <laughs> <laughs> You know, Josh, what I say to the news that New York has uh, only just got rid of all of its mask mandates and vaccine passports. Pussies! (laughs) (laughs) We got rid of that shit months ago, man. We just think it became law that you have to cough in an old woman's mouth once a day, every day, about six months ago. That's just to keep the old women happy and stimulated. (laughs) People used to talk about how dangerous New York was in the 90s and stuff. Be like, oh, New York lost its edge. But now you could die just from breathing in a grocery store. (laughs) So we're back, baby. (laughs) Take that, Giuliani. I think I think I believe at one point Giuliani was working out how to bring in legislation to ban X. I think. (laughs) Well, with him, it's because he doesn't know which one is going to be his last. He's worried that any time air escapes, he's like, oh, no, that's the last oxygen that'll ever circulate through me. It's carbon dioxide now. Also, take that Giuliani as the boy band Republican politics crossover that the world is <laughs> we are We are recording on the 7th of March 2022 on this day in uh, 1876. Alexander Graham Bell was given a patent for an invention that he called the telephone. Don't do it, AGB! What the <laughs> f*** have you unleashed? On this day 15 years ago, Nish, um, the House of Commons voted to make the upper chamber of the uh, British uh, Parliament, the House of Lords, 100% elected. That vote was held 15 years ago. Um, uh, how, how would you say that's, that's going uh, in terms of you know, putting that into, into action? Well, I don't want to uh, give too much away of the content of this week's episode once we move into the meat of it, Andrew. But um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll quote from one of my uh, school reports uh, from the uh, mid-90s. Things are not going to plan. <laughs> I don't believe I need to say any more or yes. any less than that. Just, just as an outsider, it feels like when a group called the House of Commons votes and is like, hey... House of Lords, here's how you should do things. The house of the other house isn't gonna listen to them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just just the just going by the names, that's how I would feel. This is my favourite uh, anecdote to contextualize uh, the House of Lords, particularly for American friends of mine. Uh, it is a uh, a chamber where somebody can get into uh, just es- essentially on the whims of the government of the day. Um, and so Andrew Lloyd Webber is actually a member of the House of Lords. And he actually got to uh, vote on whether they were going to increase benefits for single mothers. Uh, he decided <laughs> to vote against that uh, at the time. Uh, so uh, a man who has got into a position of power because he wrote cats, was able to prevent uh, increased benefits to single mothers because of the film Cats. And you thought, the film Cats, at this point, he should be tried in the f***ing Hague for cats. <laughs> Not being allowed to have a say in whether single mothers get more benefits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, in, in terms of school reports. Not, not so much could do better, 
in terms of turning the House of Lords into an elected chamber as could do f***ing anything at all uh, would be something. Um, more on this uh, later in the show. Uh, section in the bin this week, all hope. Did I do that, Reese? Did I, have I already done that? <laughs> Top story this week. Well, we reported exclusively last week on the Earth plummeting down the planet rankings in the solar system. Uh, this week, the human race, uh, while still just about clinging on to the coveted cleverest species in the world title, has also gone right back to the top of the stupidest f***ing species chart as well we've overtaken lemmings that is a contest <laughs> that has run and run throughout history and will run and run for as long as history uh, continues so, so till next week andy we've got another six to seven days on that <laughs> the two v's vladimir ukraine and vladimir you <laughs> <laughs> Uh, up against each other and i will say um as a jewish comedian in his 40s whose surname begins with z i've been feeling deeply inadequate this week <laughs> even more uh, than usual um <laughs> I, yeah it, i think listen it's been a chastening week for all of us because i i sort of spotted in the last really over the last two to three weeks there are people on the internet trying to contextualize vladimir Zelensky. Uh, for people in the United Kingdom, and uh, more than one person uh, has u- has used the following phrase: "This is a bit like what would happen if Nish Kumar was elected prime minister." <laughs> and I am here to tell you all: it's fucking not. <laughs> because Vladimir Zelensky has refused the offer of asylum in America. Uh, and it said that he's going to stay in the country and fight for his people. And I'll be honest with you, if Putin rolls up on Dover, I'll be out of this f***ing place so quickly, I will leave a pencil outline in the air like a cartoon character. And if anybody accosts me, I will be doing an Indian accent so offensive, people will assume it was coming out of the mouth of Apu Nahasapima Petala. Yes, I mean, he's, he has set the bar high for what, what comedians can achieve if, if they put their minds slightly higher than uh, talking shit on a podcast once a week. Um, and and we see how it's going. Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. Um, I mean, it's been one of those weeks, uh, yeah, as, a, as a parent, where, where you, find, you, know, you find your children watching uncertified slasher movies on a stolen laptop after lights out, and you think, well, at least they're not reading the newspapers. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, please, we've taken all the filters off. Watch pornography. I would prefer that at this point. You know, you check your, their internet browsing history and find that they've been trading illegal guns, steroids, ivory, questionable World War II memorabilia, bushmeat and endangered reptiles on the dark web, and you think, well, it could be worse. They could be binge-watching 24-hour news channels. Or you find your youngest child engaged in the amateur taxidermy of a dead fox that they found in next-door neighbour's bin using your best kitchen knife and your priceless collection of 1930s cricket autographs as the stuffing, whilst posting baseless conspiracy theories about Hillary Clinton running a global baby stealing ring and you think well that is better than listening to an hourly news bulletin it's <laughs> it's just it's just tragedy on tragedy played out on our uh, TV screens a million people have uh, uh, been displaced already uh, from Ukraine th- uh, from Ukraine thousands have died I mean Europe as a continent is just trembling shitting itself as it contemplates its past its present uh, and its future. I've been on tour this week, and Nish, I know you've been touring as well. Mm. I think it's been the, the hardest I've ever found it to 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 do comedy and to sort of think comedically. 
as I was sat in a hotel room uh, in Ipswich, watching footage of a Russian military force shelling a nuclear power plant in Ukraine, I did think this is going to make my customary post-show wank a little bit sadder than usual. <laughs> well, you got to turn the news off before you start that. That's... Yeah. <laughs> And, and also, also get get off the stage as well. <laughs> family show, honestly. <laughs> Lubed up by my own tears for humanity. <laughs> that's that's the Nishkumar story. I mean, in any ordinary weakness, that would be the most revolting image series in games. But I, I guess if you're going to say that this week, maybe as as good as any. <laughs> yes, listen, it uh, has been another uh, a very difficult week. Uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, continues uh, at pace. Um, from a British perspective, it's been a somewhat depressing week. Um, obviously, the, the bind that uh, countries like the UK and the US find themselves in is that any kind of military intervention by NATO or any of its allies... It could be the thing that triggers uh, a nuclear war. Um, and I found a very, very concerning quote from Nikolai Patrushev, who's a very close advisor to Putin and head of Russia's Security Council. Uh, in 2009, he, he warned NATO that uh, they, Russia might engage in a nuclear strike to repel an aggression. And so one of the principal concerns at the moment is that Russia may use one of its one to 2,000 tactical nuclear bombs that it has, which are smaller nuclear weapons that make them more mobile. Um, <laughs> and boutique. The, I think they're known as boutique. Yeah, bo- yeah, yeah, yeah. Artisanal <laughs> nuclear weapons. Yeah, yeah. Fun size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they come with a Happy Meal and McDonald's in Moscow. <laughs> Um, but uh, Patrushev said, uh, you may have a more impressive military than I do, but I care a lot more and will kill us all if necessary. <laughs> and at this point, uh, Russia are a kid who is going to say, if you're going to beat me at football, I'm taking the ball with me. It's mine. I'm taking it with me. Except in this case, the ball is everyone's lives. <laughs> it is literally is the, the nuclear football. <laughs> The ball is our planet. Uh, I, I read another quote. I can't, I can't remember who it was from, but saying, uh, of a sort of similar uh, line of thoughts, what is the point of a world without Russia? Yes. Um, so, I mean, that's, it does suggest that that card is um, in the hand, if not yet on the table. Uh, which is, I'm not, uh, Josh, I mean, what's your view on uh, nuclear Armageddon? Are you, uh, are you for or against, generally? Depends on the day. Right. Um <laughs> I so look as an American I'm just relieved we're not at war yet like normally America is the first country to show up at war it's like we're ringing the bell they're still looking out the window like we weren't even ready yet Uh, (laughs) like the hors d'oeuvres aren't out it's like we have a second war to be at later and we're trying to hit them both efficiently (laughs) Uh, and normally that's because we do Um, but I don't know. I read an op-ed this week that I read the headline that said potential nuclear winter isn't actually as harsh as we thought it would be. (laughs) That's a grim place to find (laughs) optimism. Just like it's going to be kind of a balmy nuclear winter. 
Uh, which I don't like because that just reminds me of climate change. So it's like <laughs> two Armageddons <laughs> just walking arm in Armageddon <laughs> into oblivion. Yeah, but, it, but does it work sort of you know like two negatives in maths that actually they mm-hmm. cancel each other out and will actually presage a glorious new future for the planet? Listen, we've got to start looking at the positives. Megan the Stallion infamously released a song called Hot Girl Summer. It's time for Ms. the Stallion to step up and release Nuclear Winter. <laughs> Hot girl nuclear winter. Hot girl. Hot girl nuclear winter. Come on, Ms. The Stallion. The world needs you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's bad. I don't know. It's it, it just like, just even reading that, it's just like, where are people's heads? Like that, it's not going to be a nuclear holocaust so much as a lesser nuclear ethnic cleansing. And <laughs> I know comedy is about specificity, but choosing a particular genocide for that joke does feel a little insensitive. So if you're listening at home... <laughs> Think of your own. Tell no one. That's what I would recommend. <laughs> In terms of what countries could actually do, uh, one of the sort of more practical steps that w- might not escalate the world into a nuclear war is uh, taking in refugees. Uh, in terms of Britain's current contribution, uh, so far uh, we've been told that we're going to be world-beating in terms of our uh, our refugee status. Uh, Pretty Patel, who I believe I've contextualised before as uh, every Indian kid's least favourite aunt, has <laughs> formally launched the Ukraine Family Visa Scheme uh, to make sure that um, to make sure that people in the Ukraine that have family in the United Kingdom will be able to get in. Great news. How is that going so far? Well, let me tell you, Josh and Andy and Chris, we have so far offered a monumental 50 Ukrainian visas. Get in. 50. Double digits, baby. 1% of the 5,535 people who applied to join the programme 48 hours ago have been granted their visas. We are world beating, by which I mean we are beating the world with a British stick. (laughs) That's the traditional way, traditional way. Bend over, Uncle Britain is here to see you. I mean, it just, it feels to me, and this is me as an outsider, I don't mean to sound like uh, like I'm throwing stones here, because we're not really, you know, we don't always do a great job either over here uh, of this, but it just feels like, it's tough for the UK to be like, we're going to lead the world in taking in refugees when, like, five years ago, you all were like, we don't want French people, Spanish people, <laughs> Portuguese. We want no one. No, but even Europe can't even come to Europe anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, the French Interior Minister Gerald Darmanin has uh, accused Britain of lacking humanity um, because 150 Ukrainians were turned away uh, at Calais when they were trying to get to the United Kingdom. And I guess the response of the United Kingdom is, oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for recognising that, monsieur. The ultimate compliment. In terms of following the proper procedures, uh, there's obviously been a huge amount of conversation uh, in the United Kingdom about the influence uh, of Russian money uh, in the UK um, and in terms of their uh, proper proper procedures. Uh, this is, these aren't even actually uh, new conversations particularly. Uh, the Parliament's Intelligence Secur- and Security Committee in 2020 uh, found that Russian influence in the UK is the new normal. And this is a direct quote from the report. There are a lot of Russians with very close links to Putin who are well integrated into the UK business and social scene. 
seen and accepted because of their wealth. Um, and it, it, the report added that any uh, attempts to mitigate that uh, are not pre- preventative, but rather constitute la- damage limitation. Now, one of uh, those Russians uh, is uh, Evgeny Lebedev. And there have been uh, serious questions asked this week uh, about why he has been accepted into the previously mentioned on the podcast <laughs> House of Lords. Uh, he uh, there was a there are reports that Boris Johnson was warned by the security services that Lebedev, whose father was a senior KGB officer, might constitute a security risk to the country if he was given a peerage. Now, all we know at the moment that on the 19th of March 2020, Boris Johnson had a private meeting with Lebedev. uh, And subsequent to that, several sources have revealed that Boris Johnson worked hard to overrule the initial security advice and guarantee him a peerage. Now, this is... To quote my Nando's order, incredibly spicy. (laughs) Incredibly spicy indeed. Uh, Sources close to Johnson uh, have revealed to ITV's Robert Peston that he was obsessed with the peerage being granted. Uh, And this is the thing. What I would say to these Ukrainian refugees who are struggling to come to Britain, you're f***ing idiots, mate. (laughs) <laughs> There's no way you're getting in this country. What you need to do is whip round and do what Lebedev did, which was buy the Evening Standard newspaper and give <laughs> Boris Johnson uncritical coverage in his run-up to becoming Mayor of London. So what these Ukrainian refugees need to do is stop being chumps about it, have a whip round, buy a paper, say Bojo equals number one, and then maybe we'll talk about not just getting you in the country, but giving you a seat in the House of Lords. <laughs> so th- this is just to, to, to go back to that, that vote in 2007 on reform of the House of Lords to make it 100% elected, 15 years on, Evgeny Lebedev, party chum of Boris Johnson, mm. son of a former KGB agent, is elevated to the House of Lords. But oddly, he's then not bothered to do anything there he gave yeah. one speech and hasn't attended since apparently um, he didn't even write cats <laughs> he didn't even write his own speech from what i've heard either um uh, keir, keir starmer has called called for an investigation into the uh, the elevation of lebedev to to the house of law and i guess you know we complain it's not voted but it, he was voted in on the one man one vote system in which <laughs> boris johnson was the one man and the only vote and he was a hundred percent elected uh, under that system if you do have any suggestions bugles on how to improve the uh, british parliamentary system and uh, how to uh, deal with the issue of um, uh, corrosive Russian influence in the British economy and politics, do write them on a bit of paper and post them to your local landfill site. And please mark your envelope, envelope. this country is sick to its very core. Now, Now, look, again, I'm an outsider here, but I have to say, being one of many lords appointed to a government position for life is weird to me, even when you're not a security risk. In my country, we only give lifetime appointments to a baseball team's worth of judges who set ironclad legal precedent, <laughs> even after they've become so old you wouldn't trust them to order for themselves at a diner. So it's just kind of two different ways of doing things. Um, I saw this reported I was because I was reading to catch up on the story, and some people were saying, like, oh, this is just anti-Russian sentiment but i'm inclined not to trust boris's judgment ever right yes. <laughs> like first like nish you said they had an they had a meeting on march 19th 2020 a week after every government in the world was like 
don't have meetings with people. That's the worst thing you can do. So starting there, this is a bad idea. If Boris Johnson told me I was wearing a cool shirt, I would throw it away. I would take it off and throw it away. And I know what you're thinking, Josh, why not donate it? Well, it's because I don't want a person who accepts a donated shirt getting bullied on the street. I can have that on my conscience. The compare the market adverts in Britain, which have used Russian meerkats uh, in a, a very popular campaign over the last uh, thirteen years. Um, they've they've been pulled at least temporarily. I mean, surely Vladimir Putin will take take note. I mean, we are tolerant in Britain, as we've discussed. We've tolerated extremely dubious uh, um, uh, wealth emerging from the uh, mineral uh, riches which have been uh, filched uh, from uh, the Russian people by its uh, oligarchs. We've accepted them. But Putin has made Russia such a tainted brand that fictional puppets now no longer want anything to do with his country. Surely that message will get across. Surely. I feel like you've gone through that much too quickly for people that don't live in the United Kingdom, Andy. (laughs) I think we need to explain to people that there is a series of long-running adverts for a car insurance price comparison website that is called Compare the Meerkat that features two Russian meerkats as their spokespeople. Frankly, I think it's high time that we stop uh, letting Vladimir Putin be the voice of one of those meerkats. (laughs) (laughs) He is cancelled, people. (laughs) It's, It's absolutely astonishing that the measures that we're taking. Will we seize assets linked to Putin? maybe after six months. However, if you are a fake Russian meerkat on a car insurance price comparison website, you are getting locked up, my friend. (laughs) And in fact, we are now officially withdrawing the word rushing from the official dictionary. (laughs) Just in case anyone, you're now in a hurry or you're nothing. (laughs) Russian dressing is now exclusively Thousand Island dressing. (laughs) Flipping back to the other room. I like I think we should do more puppet based sanctions. Like <laughs> Elmo from now on, Elmo won't let any episodes of Sesame Street be sponsored by the letter V pronounced like the letter U. I think that's something <laughs> we could do. Russian dolls are now just called women with a bunch of other women stuffed in them. <laughs> that actually is a different thing. That's a different thing already. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Josh, what did you think of um, your former uh, uh, political and indeed spiritual leader, Donald Trump, uh, his suggestion (laughs) that um, America uh, bombs uh, Moscow, but in planes of which they've put stickers of the Chinese flag on, so Russia blames it on China? Do you think that's a... I just don't think our military strategy should be contingent on bumper stickers. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, hey, we could broker a piece. We slap a coexist sticker on an F-22. We fly it over Ukraine. (laughs) This is, it is, I think it's even worse than my best idea for diplomacy, which is, you know, because people have brought up a no-fly zone, um, which you have to enforce then with with military aggression. I think we should have a no thanks zone. So <laughs> that is if if Russian planes uh, fly through Ukrainian airspace, we go, hey, man, no thanks. Huh? <laughs> Knock it off, big guy. Um, Nadine Dorries, uh, has, uh, uh, another British cabinet minister, has suggested culture is the third front in the Ukraine war. Now, I, I'm not sure entirely what she meant by that. I mean, it, it, people seem to assume she meant that cultural sanctions 
uh, you know, banning Russian orchestras, conductors, musicians, whatever, from, from, from playing, can, can play a part in the isolation of Putin and turning Russia against him. But bearing in mind other things that, that she and, and, and her fellow cabinet ministers have said, it might be that the government is taking this chance to impose brutal economic sanctions against people who choose not to use he, she pronouns, uh, I think could be the front in the culture war they truly want to open up. You have no... That is the latest... It is absolutely astonishing. There is a piece in the Times newspaper today, which written by Matthew Syed, that features this complete phrase... While Xi Jinping was resetting the world order through his Belt and Road Initiative and Vladimir Putin was recreating the Russian Empire by annexing Georgia and Crimea, we were arguing over gender-neutral toilets. And at this point in Britain, it is simply, whatever the subject is, you are on a timer for someone to blame it on gender-neutral toilets. It is (laughs) the level of brain worms that have affected a whole class of people in British society is beyond me. It's happening here too, but it's like, it's not, first of all, the two things are unrelated, right? The two kind of global and local initiatives. Second of all, the honest way to say that is like, hey, while Vladimir Putin was uh, was trying to increase his empire in Ukraine and Xi Jinping was was using the Belt and Road, uh, you know, implementing the Belt and Road Initiative in China, we were trying to make it illegal for transgender people to shit. Like, that's what, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, like yeah, really yeah, yeah. how you're supposed to put it. Yeah. Right? That's what it was. <laughs> this wasn't some kind of all-encompassing multi-billion dollar uh, FDR-style New Deal for gender-neutral toilets. This is like conservatives imperiling trans people and everybody else going, knock it off! We want people to be okay! <laughs> if, there's, if there's one thing that would have taught notorious homophobe Vladimir Putin a lesson, it's mm-hmm. if we'd been less kind to the LGBTQIA community. <laughs> Just kind of as an olive branch to Russia. And also, it's a rather selective... You know, it's picking... You know, three things. One, you know, one from China, one from Russia, one from the the West, and laying them. I mean, it doesn't. You know, he could each equally have gone. Well, we in Britain were voting for Brexit and to take back control of uh, of our national future and uh, uh, indulging in a, in a in a momentous decision that will shape the entire future of our country. Uh, in Russia, uh, they were opening up a new ice rink uh, and uh, giving <laughs> balloons to children at a party. Uh, right. Right. While Xi Jinping was turbocharging the Chinese economy, LeBron James was facilitating a trade for Russell Westbrook in the offseason. <laughs> what is the West thinking? The Ukrainian um, authorities, however, have, amidst all the tragedy um, and the brutalities, have managed to see the funny side. Um, the, uh, the National Agency for Protection Against Corruption uh, issued a statement saying, have you captured a Russian tank or armoured <laughs> personnel carrier and are worried about how to declare it? Keep calm and continue to defend the mother. So they won't, you won't be charged tax. I don't know exactly how <laughs> the, the tax on stolen military vehicles works in Ukraine. But just, amidst the middle of a war, to, to basically troll Russia with a tax gag, that's high-level stuff. Listen, we're all waiting for a day, hopefully, when this war ends unsuccessfully for Putin, where a farmer in Ukraine is just driving down the road and sees his neighbour getting into a tank. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I know that you don't have to pay tax if you capture a tank, 
But what about on the income if you sell the tank? I think that's where they get you. <laughs> I think that's where they're going to get you. Um, also, I definitely think, I mean, there's been like a strain of, of U.S. conservative who's like very pro-Putin because of his kind of like masculinity. And I think this is going to get them on board with the cause of the Ukrainians, right? Like this is the American dream. Every Republican just wants to own a tank and not pay taxes. So like, <laughs> this, is, this is perfect. All they have to do is incentivize using those tanks to blow up abortion clinics and it will fully become the Texas of Eastern <laughs> Europe over there. <laughs> I think it's also worth uh, saluting the sheer bloody-minded bravery of uh, the over, I believe at the last count, 4,300 people arrested in Russia, in 21 different Russian cities for protesting the war. Um, and also it's worth shouting out the protesters in Kazakhstan who turned out in large numbers to chant no to war and Putin is a dickhead. <laughs> That's a good chant. Yeah. I, I, I mean, if anyone deserved the term dickhead, it's Vladimir Putin because as he increasingly has work done, he is beginning to <laughs> resemble a shiny bellend. <laughs> I, well, I also think, look, we got to bring back 90s style insults into political discourse. <laughs> Dickhead, dillweed, <laughs> all of those. As if the world wasn't shit enough, on Friday of last week, the uh, news broke that Shane Warne, the great Australian cricketer, one of the finest cricketers of all time, had died suddenly of uh, what is thought to be a heart attack. Uh, I, I'm not blaming Vladimir Putin for this, um, but you know the timeline doesn't look good for the Russian oligarch. Um, uh, for all cricket fans, of which I don't think I'm breaking my own confidence in saying I am one, uh, Warren <laughs> is one of the iconic figures of the game, one of the greatest players uh, of, of the game. He, he sprung to prominence in England with his first ball ever in an Ashes test in Manchester in 1993, um, and he's a leg spinner. Now, to explain to non-cricket fans on the bugle, the, the fast bowlers bowl the ball at sort of, you know, over 80 miles an hour up to about 95 miles an hour. Warner's a spinner, uh, does not have the advantage of speed bowls, you know, sort of 45 to 55 miles an hour, and uses craft and deception and the, the rotations of the ball to make it drift and spin. And it was a, an art form in cricket that it was, you know, it had struggled over previous decades, not quite true to say it was fully extinct but he was something of a throwback and he bowled this ball the first ball he'd ever bowled against England and it bowled out Mike Gatting who's a very experienced England player and it drifted through the air it dipped it bounced and it span away viciously and it hit the uh, top corner of his stumps and Gatting looked like a child who just discovered that Santa Claus is a Russian secret agent <laughs> that look of befuddlement and disappointment as he as he walked off. It's possibly the single greatest ball bowled out of more than five million in Test cricket, certainly in terms of its impact on the game. And Warren then had a uh, prodigious career over about 15 years and then became a, a commentator. I actually worked with him on Indian television for three days of a Test match some years ago and um, met him a couple of times on BB, BBC duty. And it was just uh, uh, amidst all the awful news that's been going, it was just a hor horrific thing to hear, uh, Nish, I know you uh, as a uh, also a cricket fan, but maybe not quite at the level uh, that I am. Um, I, I don't believe anyone is at the level of, <laughs> of you, uh, of you, Andy. 
Um, uh, uh, tri- I tribute. think it's you and the inventor of cricket. <laughs> <laughs> if someone had asked me, if someone said to me, woke me up from a dead sleep and said, Josh, name the biggest cricket fan. I have a gun to your head, and if you can't do it, I'm going to shoot. I would say, Andy Zaltzman, now let me go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, tributes were paid. Uh, uh, so, and a few tributes from his former teammates, opponents. Um, uh, you know, a, a, a flawed man, as, as most are, but an incredible character in in cricket uh, uh the statue from outside the melbourne cricket ground people left flowers as you might expect cricket balls as you might expect but also cans of beer and packets of cigarettes yeah. in tribute to uh, the kind of life that that worn uh, what did he mean to you nish as a as a, as a cricket fan uh, I, i'm a cricket fan uh, and i'm 36 years old and it what that means is shane Warne is uh a figure who is has dominated my entire life <laughs> he's uh he he made the game. Uh, he made a decidedly, and I, Andy won't thank me for saying this, unsexy game what? feel incredibly cool. <laughs> he was the uh, he was the rock star of cricket, and um, he, I I, 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 I saw him play a couple of times, and I remember being sat on the uh, pretty close to the boundary rope, like pretty much the front row that you could sit at in Lords, and uh, he was. Uh, you could hear the revolutions of the ball. The ball was spinning so quickly that it was audible uh, on the boundary rope. And it, witnessing him bowl live is one of the great thrills of my entire life. And again, briefly uh, meeting him uh, at uh, a cricket event before I was, let's not be around the bush, justifiably blacklisted from those uh, due to a, <laughs> uh, an incident involving a flying bread roll. Uh, was really one of the greatest, one of the greatest thrills of my life. And he, he, he was sort of... Uh, he was a kind of bowling mystic. He, he had uh, a number of different variations that he mastered. Um, and then uh, later in his career, as he had to have uh, repeated shoulder surgeries because of the strain of his somewhat peculiar action, he uh, evolved his game and became a sort of wizened elder statesman. Uh, it is, it, for non-cricket fan buglers of which I imagine there is a rapidly declining group uh, a quick as Google, cricket gains global popularity at an unprecedented rate or as this bugle as this podcast hemorrhages listeners who can't stand to hear about a game that is the result of baseball having unprotected sex with a library uh, it's, it's worth it's worth having a quick squeeze because uh, he did things with a cricket ball that still to this day seem uh, geometrically geometrically impossible, um, and it's 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 blown a huge hole in the the life of the game. Yeah, I mean, that that one ball to to Gatting in nineteen ninety three. I mean, it took England basically a decade and a half to recover from that single ball. Uh, essentially, the kind of impact it had on the psyche of English cricket. Um, and I was asked. Um, at one of the Satirist for Hard shows I did in Australia, did, uh, did I prefer Warren as a cricketer or as a pundit, as a TV pundit? And I mean, the thing is, whatever you think of Shane Warren as a as a as a as a as a, as a commentator, as whatever he did, became a quite successful poker player, I think, after his cricket career. There was nothing that he could do that would be as good as what he did on a cricket. He could have found an elixir for eternal COVID immunity that just involved <laughs> eating a mango and clucking like a chicken, and it would not have been as good as what he did as a bowler. He could have developed a hybrid chicken-pig crossbreed that every morning laid 20 ready-made bacon and egg omelettes to solve world <laughs> hunger. It wouldn't have been as good as that boy he got Andrew Strauss out with in 2005. He could have gone to Antarctica, pulled out 
he could have gone to Antarctica and urinated a full-size replica of the ashes urn that froze in mid-air. It wouldn't have been anywhere near as good as what he did uh, on on the field. He could have swallowed Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison whole, put on a big red curly wig, drunk a bottle of tequila, and belched the Australian Prime Minister back out in the form of a Mexican clown. <laughs> Still wouldn't have been the most amazing thing he did. Um, it, uh, it was extremely... And I also found out, the way I found out was I was driving on the way to my tour gig in uh, Barnard Castle and I had my phone up with the, the map app and a WhatsApp message came through from Chris that just said Shane Warne with a kind of like a surprised face emoji. And and I thought, well, what on earth I mean, has he has he come out in favour of Vladimir Putin? Uh, has he announced that he's coming back to play? For, for Australia, uh, as he you know, found an, an elixir of life and is now 20 years old again and is going to dominate the ashes for the next 15 years. Um, and I put the radio on and, and heard the, the sat. It was a very strange way to hear that news, Chris. Very strange. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I um, I mean, I could have posted something far more explicit based on the text messages I've received since, but we'll keep that away. <laughs> yeah, the Bally Bowls Andrew Strauss with the 2005 is worth watching it, because it, uh, Andrew Strauss... It feels like he's still trying to work out 17 years later what happened to his leg stump. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of uh, of this week's uh, bugle. Not, not the happiest of shows, uh, I think it's fair to say. Uh, but I hope you've uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, don't forget to buy tickets to all of my tour shows this week. Uh, if you hear this on uh, Tuesday, tonight I'm in North Allerton, uh, then Wednesday in Lincoln, Thursday in Chorley, Friday in Birmingham, then the following week Cheltenham, Leicester, Maidenhead, Aldershot, Nottingham, Bristol, Cambridge and Milton Keynes. That's well, the following two weeks. Then an eight-night run at Soho Theatre in London in May. Anything to plug? Yes, I am on tour. I am all over the place. I am uh, in uh, Warwick on Friday and Aylesbury on Saturday. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm covering some ground. And if anybody knows, 400 people in Wrexham, for the love of God, <laughs> send them away. Because that, that gig was pretty much currently based on my current Wrexham sales. That gig would have been safe in April 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I'll text my group chat, 400 people in Wrexham plus Josh. <laughs> Um, oh, I gotta get, I gotta get Ryan Reynolds and Rob McInerney on the on the because yeah. they bought Wrexham Football Club. They could buy you a crowd. Sure. Josh, mm-hmm. surely yeah. you got some in with Reynolds. Oh yeah, I'm a big Renhead. Yeah. <laughs> you and Blake Lively, a piece mm-hmm. in a pod, surely. Mm-hmm. We went to uh, summer camp together. <laughs> uh, I am doing a little stand-up. You can find it at joshgondelman.com. I've got a couple shows in Brooklyn. Um, I've got a show in Woodstock, New York. Um, I am adding stuff, hopefully, for the summer. That, uh, so I'll be out on the road. And Jesus and Mero returns to television this week, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I, I Again, I, I feel like I have to say because it doesn't scan knowing me, but I work there. I'm not just uh, a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Thursday night at 11. 
Uh, well, thanks, uh, as always, to, to both of you. My uh, tour dates are at andyzoltzen.co.uk, which I think is largely accurate now, after a few <laughs> slight glitches. Um, it's the uh, best thing that anyone has ever said about your website. <laughs> <laughs> um, minimalist, I think it's fair to say. Uh, we will now play you out. If you've not had enough lies from the world already, we'll play you out some lies about our premium-level voluntary subscribers. So join them and to make a one-off or recurring contribution to the Bugle, go to buglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Tore Evanson thinks that whilst many people are allergic to peanuts, it is quite possible that peanuts are even more allergic to people. At the very least, says Tore, I think the average peanut would rather avoid contact with humans because it tends to end quite badly for them. Whether they're actually allergic or just human-wary, well, I'll leave that to the scientists to work out. Sanders Asperlund believes that all you need in a domestic kitchen to cook pretty much every necessary dish is a potter's wheel and a fun-sized flamethrower. You can cook anything with a source of heat and something that rotates, explains Sanders. Ovens and hobs are a waste of space, if you ask me, but then again, I also think that all you need in a bathroom is a garden hose and a tennis racket, so what do I know? Stephanie Eglinton-Warner thinks that the tricycle should be the only vehicle allowed in city centres. Not only would it help the environment, says Stephanie, but it would also assist in reducing traffic, and it would, most importantly, help people to stop taking everything so seriously. It's really not possible to try to look cool, business-like, wealthy or superior on a trike. You just can't do it. Believe me, says Stephanie, I've tried. Colin Kostichuk is in favour of the wider use of advent calendar-style reward-based anticipation-enhancing countdown-assisting accessories. Why is it only Christmas that gets a countdown calendar, rails Colin? Christmas can look after itself. Wouldn't it be more use to have a calendar giving you a chocolate every day for 24 days in the build-up to something less innately exciting, for example, the end of a tax year or the start of your exams? And finally, David Blumquist is already all over Colin's idea. Personally, says David, I've got a special calendar counting up towards the end of the world. Or at least I have a special box with tiny little cardboard doors with chockies behind, and I give myself a chockey every day. I've been counting up, as advent calendars do, and having blasted through 24, I've just kept going, and I simply write a new number on it every evening before I go to bed, so I can happily open it next morning if the world hasn't ended. I've been doing it since October 2007, and I'm on day 5,260. Yes, I'm bored shitless of chocolates, but I'm oddly excited about Armageddon. Here endeth this week's lies. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>